I'm going to introduce you today to rejected Regina. Any second now? There she is. I was pretty confident there would be no one here called Regina, so I would be on safe ground. I'm not even sure if that's how you say it, but we're going to go with that. Regina has been rejected. Deep in the core of her being, she feels hurt and wounded. She can't quite put her finger on why or where it all started. In fact, she tries not to think about it at all. It just might hurt too much. And that rejection has left an indelible mark on her soul. Frankly, she's worried about being rejected. She protects herself against being rejected. And so, as she rolls into a hedgehog formation, her prickles stick out, sharp and proud. And whether she realises it or not, they scream, enter at your own risk. Because she keeps everyone at arm's length, she feels isolated. Because she won't open up, she misses the tenderness of true friendship. Because she wears a variety of masks, no one really knows what she's thinking. And that makes it hard for them to break through the walls of self-defence she's built. Therefore, people tend to give up on her rather quickly, which just serves to deepen the sense of rejection. It's a vicious cycle. In her Christian life, she struggles with the concept of God as her father. She has major trust issues. She's suspicious of accepting love in case it's tainted. Everyone tells her real love is unconditional, but everything in her has decided that if anyone is going to receive her love, they're jolly well going to have to earn it. Because she is self-protective, Regina tends to keep score and very few measure up. She's easily offended, clings on to grudges and doesn't easily forget. If only Regina understood what Christ had done for her. If only she realised how much he loved her and how he saw her and what he'd made available to her. If only she'd let other people in, she'd realise their intentions were not always corrupt or selfish or hurtful. If only she could find a way to let go of that bitterness and resentment, she might be able to break free from the chains of rejection. You know, the starting point this morning is that we have all been rejected. It's human nature, sadly. We, we, we let people down unintentionally. We even do mean things intentionally. The reality is, as we've heard before, is that hurting people hurt people. And we've all been hurt over the years. You know, you may have fallen in love for the first time and been unceremoniously dumped. You may have made lifelong marriage vows and been abandoned. You may have been crushed by the very parents whose job it was to nurture and protect you. You may have been bullied for no apparent reason. You may have lost your job unjustly. You may have been let down by someone you opened your vulnerable heart to. You know, the Bible is stuffed 
full of rejected, broken people. A couple of examples for you. Th- think about poor old Joseph. Oh, he with the amazing Technicolor dream coat. You know, he was rejected by his own brothers and tossed into a pit and sold to slave traders. And then, by the time he picked himself up, he got himself a good job, he was doing just fine, and he was rejected by his boss, Potiphar, and his scheming wife. And then he found himself in prison, and there was this episode with the dreams and the baker and the the cupbearer. You know, they forgot about him soon, too. I think about the character of Ishmael. When we have Isaac, who was the child of promise, Ishmael, well, he was the other one. They tried to kind of circumnavigate God's plan there. And think about Ishmael. Every day, Ishmael looked over his shoulder, and there he saw Isaac. Isaac was the favoured one. Isaac was the child of the promise. And Ishmael's whole personality, his whole life was framed by that rejection. We could go on, think about King David, another tremendously famous character who was remorselessly hunted down by jealous King Saul. And you know what? Towards the end of his life, he was, he was betrayed and overthrown by his own son. Think about Samson, the strong one. He was betrayed to his enemies by his own wife. And then, of course, we have Jesus. Jesus was utterly rejected by the very people he came to save. People that he'd healed, people that he'd fed, people that he'd poured his heart into. He he was denied three times by his very best friend, Peter. He was betrayed by Judas, who was one of his inner circle. And eventually he was unjustly and brutally killed. We read in Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus, he was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And the moral of all of that is is that if you have been rejected, you are in good company. Everyone in this room has been rejected repeatedly and in some cases devastatingly. So do you know what? You're not alone. To an extent at least, we've all been there. And do you know what? You have You have our deep and genuine sympathy. But there's a danger. And the danger is that rejection can leave a deep, open wound. Which, if left unattended, can have dire consequences. Hence my pen portrait there of Regina. I'll say that again. The danger is that rejection can leave a deep, open, gaping, sensitive, painful wound if you don't do anything about it. And ultimately, that can have very significant consequences for you. 
Before I go any further, I want to remind you that the gospel is good news. Amen. Talking about Jesus, Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so, as we've already hinted, Jesus came and he felt and he experienced all the same pain and rejection and disappointment that you did. You know, as you read through the Bible, you cannot but be taken by the fact that we, we have a God who is moved by compassion. Time and time again, it said Jesus was moved by compassion. He saw the crowd and they were harassed and helpless. We have a God who, who repeatedly champions the underdog, whether that's the poor or the orphan or the widow or the foreigner. But you know what? He came to earth to do something about it. Jesus' ministry mandate states, Luke chapter 4, verse 18, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So this is a prophecy from the book of Isaiah. And on this day, when Jesus opened the scroll and and read it, he said, this applies to me. This is fulfilled today in me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, to be freedom for the brokenhearted, new eyes for the blind, to preach to prisoners, you are set free. I've come to share the message of Jubilee for the time of God's great acceptance has begun. In other words, Jesus came to bring hope to the hopeless, to the poor, to the lonely. Jesus came to minister deep healing to the brokenhearted, to the bruised, to the deeply wounded. Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the captives to break their chains, to overcome their fears so they can, that they can come out from behind those prison doors and breathe the oxygen of the free. He came to, to announce that now is the time of God's favour. You may have been rejected. You may have been tossed aside. You may have been abandoned. But to Jesus, you are deeply loved and warmly welcomed and can be fully restored to, to announce that now you have been you've been adopted into his family God's message to you is you are mine and I am yours Amen. I am your heavenly father I am your good shepherd I am the lover of your soul I have imprinted my seal upon your heart and made you my son than my daughter. There's a song that we sing called Rescuer from which the title of the series is taken. And the words go something like this. There is good news for the captive. What we've just read out of Luke 4. There is good news for the captive. Good news for the shamed. That's next week. There is good news for the one who walked away. Another verse says, his beauty for the blind man, riches for the poor, he is friendship for the one the world ignores. And the chorus says, he's our rescuer. Hey. You've got to know the song. Sorry. He's our rescuer. Hey. 
We are free from sin forevermore. Oh, how sweet the sound. Oh, how grace abounds. We will praise the Lord, our rescuer. And then the bridge goes, so come and be chainless. Come and be fearless. Come to the foot of Calvary, for there is redemption for every affliction here at the foot of Calvary. So with that platform laid, I want to dive into this today. The, The fact is rejection, sadly, is inevitable, but it doesn't have to be fatal. The clue in my title is in the word ruled. Do you allow rejection to take root? And do you give it power to control you? That's what the word ruled means. Here's a statement you may have heard before it goes like this. If you allow the seed of offence to take root in the soil of insecurity... It produces a root of bitterness leading to the fruit of resentment. I'll say that again so you can mull it around in your head for a second. If you allow that that little seed of offence to to take root in your heart and if your heart has within it that, that soil of insecurity, then it will produce a root of bitterness leading to the fruit that that produces, the fruit of resentment. In other words, if you allow the the root of rejection to grow, what do roots do? They produce a fruit. And it will produce a bitter and a poisonous fruit. That's why it's called bitterness. That that fruit might be be broken relationships. It might be touchy or changeable moods and emotions. It, It might be... That, that prickly, de- defensive, hedgehog response reaction. It, it might be a, a sense of a victim mentality. But you know what? If you, if you don't pluck up the roots, then guess what? That weed will keep growing fruit. Gardeners say amen. Yeah. doesn't matter. You just can't get to those weeds in the cracks in your patio. Guess what? They keep coming back and they keep growing and they keep growing like crazy the danger is in time that those weeds take over and they become a real stronghold in your life Hebrews 12 15 says see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God thank you Lord for your grace and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many That's what that root does, is it grows and it causes all sorts of trouble. And if we're not careful, it will defile all sorts of things. You know, that bitter root can be be like a barb in the heart, which keeps on tugging and keeps on twisting and tweaking and keeps on manipulating and controlling. I'm convinced that this arena is where, is where the enemy does some of his darkest and most effective work, right here. No wonder Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart. Just don't let that root take hold. For everything you do flows from there. So the question for us today is, how, how do you break rejection's rule? 
how do you begin to unpluck those roots so that you no longer have to eat that fruit? I want to just play a little game just for a second. The next the slide here. I'm calling this, this a rejectability scale. So humor me for a second. And we've got zero at one end and we've got ten at the other. I'm going to ask you in your own heads, not shouting out, to place yourself somewhere on the scale. Now, at this far end, my right, your left, we have zero. Zero is unoffendable, right? It doesn't matter what they do to you. There's absolutely zero chance of that seed ever taking root in your heart. So this end, zero, is unoffendable. At that end, ten, I'm going to call it utterly ruled, a complete stranglehold over you. I'm going to suggest, because we're all human beings... We all breathe oxygen. We're all in relationship with other people. All of us lie somewhere on that scale. I wonder for you today where that might be. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. For the next 10 minutes or so, I'm going to to make a sweeping assumption. I'm going to assume that you're at number eight. So there's hope. (laughs) I'm going to assume that you're number eight. And I'm going to try to give you some strategies, some principle, some ideas that might be able to shift this down to, to say number two. Wouldn't that be better? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to give you three tips for lowering that value, and the three tips are this, and I'm going to spend a couple of minutes on each. The first one is forgive and release. Oh, yikes, I knew he was going to talk about that F word. Yeah, I'm sorry. Number one is forgive and release. Number two is invite the healer in. And number three is the same number three as last week, but with slightly different notes. Climb back onto the rock. Good right? So I'm going to work my way through those. Number one is forgive and release. So much I could say about this, so I'm going to dive straight in. You know, unforgiveness can be a deep and a dark prison. A couple of quotes for you that might strike a chord. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison but expecting the other person to die. Here's another one. Unforgiveness is choosing to stay trapped in a jail cell of bitterness, serving time for someone else's crime. You know, forgiveness is right at the core of the gospel. We all need to be forgiven. We all need to be released from the heavy load that we are carrying. We all all need to be freed from the shame and the regret and the guilt that that produces. Again, that's going to be next week. But thirdly, we also all need to find the strength to forgive if we're going to find wholeness. If you want to be whole, you're going to have to find from somewhere the strength to forgive and let go. I heard forgiveness defined like this. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance towards a person, a person who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve it, because they probably don't. And the key word of many for me in that, in that definition is the word release. Yeah. Forgiveness is the act of releasing from offence. Yeah. 
It's, it's the act of releasing from, from penalty or, or punishment. And it's the, as the effect of releasing your anger. Just gets rid of it right there. You see, the power of forgiveness is it takes a step out of the pain of the situation, sees a bigger picture. And that, for, that, that forgiveness trusts that there is a God who has a solution for you. And finally, that, that forgiveness has the power to let a whole bunch of baggage go. So you know, forgiveness is not an active emotion. We don't forgive because we feel like it. If you wait until you feel like it, you probably never will. It's not an act of emotion, but it is an act of faith. Because in doing so, we trust the outcomes. We let go of manipulating, controlling, managing it, organizing ourselves. We let it go and we trust it to the Lord. It becomes an act of faith. So it's an act of faith and it's a work of grace. Now grace, grace is the, the imparted divine strength that makes forgiveness possible when the flesh is crawling. When your emotions are screaming. When your mind is protesting. When your will is digging its heels in, grace is the strength to forgive in the middle of, in spite of, all of that. And here's the point. You will never be able to pluck out the roots of rejection until you forgive and release. And in fact, until you forgive... You're actually, unwittingly, unknowingly, you're blocking God from being able to hurt, heal the deep hurt on the inside of you. But you know what? Your act of letting go opens the door wide for God to set to work on your heart. Which leads to number two. Number one is forgive and release. Number two is, is invite the healer in. Invite the healer in. Only God can truly heal a bruised and broken heart. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Isaiah 61.1, which is that Luke 4 verse, says, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. You know, God is in the business of binding up broken hearts. Now that, that is God the Father's aspiration for you. That, that is what Jesus Christ set into motion as he hung there on the cross. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in you and for you. And do you know what? If you will trust him, he is very, very good at it. That this idea of letting the healing run, I, I don't think this is a three-point plan. Ultimately, you just have to let him in and let him do his work. 
But if there were steps, I, I think it would include these. First of all, the starting point is to acknowledge the pain. Stop denying it. Stop avoiding it. Stop burying it deeper in the hopes that it'll go away. Recognize that now is the time to confront that pain head on. It takes bravery. You'll need God's help in that. But that has to be the starting point. So number one, we start by acknowledging the pain. And then, quite simply, throw your arms wide open, pray, and invite him in. Ask God in and give him access to that deep wound. And then finally, do what he says. Do what he says. You know, there will be a letting go. There will be a letting go of pain. There will be a forgiving there may well need on your path to be some repenting, but there is going to have to be a letting go, a casting off, a giving up. There's also going to have to be a receiving. There's going to have to be an imparting of God's love and of God's grace and of God's comfort. And thirdly, there's, there's going to have to be the praying of bold prayers. There's going to have to be a taking authority over the enemy. There's going to have to be a rejecting of his lies. There's going to have to be a, a, a praying for and a receiving of that healing power. You know, in this, it, it might help to share with someone you trust and maybe to let them minister to you. You might need to revisit the pain. It might not be a one-time-only deal. Often healing is a process. Sometimes it's a slow and gradual process. But it's something you have to walk through. But ultimately, you are going to have to close the door. You're going to have to lock it behind you. And you're going to have to choose to never go back. And that's why it leads on to, to point number three. So once you've invited God the healer in to do his work deep on the inside of you, then you've got to climb back onto the rock. Yeah. Amen. Let me read this little psalm to you. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. You know, the reality is that, that rejection opens the door to a whole lot of sand. In its extreme, rejection can leave you at the bottom of a pit of miry, slimy, smelly clay. But. God can pull you out. And God can put your feet back on solid ground. And so your, your post-healing aftercare, so to speak, is to keep looking down beneath your feet, as we said last week, and asking yourself, am I standing on sand or am I standing on rock? And towards this, I cannot understate 
the critical importance of what we call renewing the mind. Just explain that very briefly. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you know what? We all need, to one extent or another, we all need our thinking to be renewed. The word renewed literally means to be, to be made like new, to be, to be renovated, to be reset, to be made over. We all need our thinking to be renewed so we can be transformed. You know, famously the word transformed there in the Greek is the word metamorphosis, which is that idea of a, of a caterpillar being transformed into a butterfly. Maybe if your life has been corrupted by rejection and its effects, you might feel like a caterpillar. The good news is by the renewing of your mind, God wants to transform you into that beautiful butterfly. So for a Christian, that metamorphosis is, is from infant to mature. It's from broken to whole. It's from ashes to beauty. It's from insecure to secure. It's from confused to really knowing, as Romans 12, 2 says, what the will of the Lord is. And the primary agent of transformation The primary agent of renewal is God's word. You know, the enemy uses rejection to attack your identity. So you need the word of God to remind you who you are in Christ. The enemy uses rejection to make you feel unloved and unlovable. So you need the word to remind you that nothing can separate you from his love. The enemy uses rejection to isolate you. So you need the word to remind you that, that, that he is always near. That, that never will he leave you nor forsake you. That you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The enemy uses rejection to attempt to convince you that you are a victim. So you need the, the word to remind you that, that you are more than a conqueror through Christ. And the enemy uses rejection to undermine your confidence. So you need the word to remind you that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. In other words, keep climbing back onto that rock. And that will protect you from ever falling back again into that slimy pit of pain, into that rejection, into that bitterness, and into that unforgiveness. Okay, I'm going to introduce you now to Restored Regina. Sadly, I couldn't find a picture of Restored Regina, so I found a picture in which there was absolutely no rejection at all. Brody, Brody would like you to know at that moment of time, Wimbledon is on the television. Okay. okay, if you have problems with rejection, my medication, number one, is get an Irish setter. That will solve a lot of your problems. Okay, on a more serious note, Regina has been rejected... Several times over. But one day she decided to open her heart wide and let God in. She invited him to take away her pain, free her from the bondage of past hurts, and release her from the associated fears and anxieties. She asked God for a close encounter with his love. As a result, she finally grasped the width and length 
and height and depth of that love. Now she really knows his acceptance, his forgiveness, his tenderness, his pleasure. And this for Regina has become a solid rock and a firm foundation. Regina has a new default habit. She forgives as soon as the thought enters her mind. She's learned not to allow offence to even enter her psyche. She's learned to bless rather than curse. To pray instead of fantasizing and magnifying. And she's learned to recognize the truth of God's word as opposed to the spiteful lies of the enemy. Because the fear of rejection is now under control, Regina is far more comfortable letting people in. Her friendships have widened and deepened. She is learning to trust again. She goes at it cautiously, still, but at least the prickles have gone. And of course, the vicious cycles have been broken. Her faith is now stronger and more confident. Rather than being suspicious of the Lord, She is now warm, open, and quick to respond to him. As a result, she no longer bottles everything up, but processes it more effectively and successfully. And she finds church life far less intimidating. The rehearsed scowl and shooting look has been replaced by a glint in her eye and a warm smile, a reflection that her wounded heart is slowly and skillfully being put back together again. And the moral of the story is that God too can do that for you. I'm pretty much done. We're going to invite the worship team to come back up to the front. We've got about 10 minutes to go here and to respond. Do you know what? I'm well aware of the fact that this message strikes right at the core of the heart for many people. Nobody is, ex- is inert and immune from this. And all of you have experienced it to different degrees in your life. And I, my attempt this morning is to present the message of truth and some encouragement to you. But ultimately, you have to do some business with God. And my prayer is that through the multitude of words that have come out of my mouth, something from the Holy Spirit has just spoken to you. And we'd love to give you the opportunity to respond to that this morning. So I'm going to give you two challenges and then we'll talk about how you might respond to that. Challenge number one, and they're fairly obvious, there's no surprises. Challenge number one is, is what or who do you have to forgive? That's the key in many regards that opens, unlocks that door. I'd like you to ask God this morning, be honest, be transparent, open your heart and say, God, who or what do I still have to forgive. Maybe you've half forgiven. Maybe you've never forgiven. But you know what? The prayers that release and let all of that stuff go are incredibly powerful. God is in it. God is right in the middle of the business of forgiveness. So question number one is who or what do you still have to forgive? And then question number two is what deep inner pain or wound do you still have that you dearly love to take to the healer today? Amen. And I'd encourage you, don't just sit there hiding. Don't put up those hedgehog prickles. I'd encourage you to come forward for prayer today. 
and allow someone to lay hands, a hand of blessing and of healing and of encouragement to you and just release that pain.